Welcome to the K-State Center for Excellence in Dryland Agriculture podcast. Our research and extension efforts are directly tied to Western Kansas and dryland agriculture. For more information about dryland topics, including cover crops, weed science, forages, alternative crops, and more, visit us at ksu.edu forward slash dryland. Today we have with us Keith Harmony, a range scientist at Kansas State University. Keith has been with the KSU Ag Research Center in Hayes for almost 22 years, primarily working on grazing research on native rangelands and also doing research on seeded cool season grasses adapted to the warm and dry environments of western Kansas. Keith's also done a considerable amount of work on trying to control undesirable weedy species that are invading our Kansas pastures and rangelands. Today, our topic will be the extreme wind event and the resulting wildfires that swept through west central Kansas on December 15th, 2021. Welcome, Keith. Howdy there. Thanks for having me on, on this podcast. You bet. So, Keith, um, how common is fire in the western part of Kansas? Well, fire out here in the western part of Kansas isn't as common as it was it, what it used to be. Um, out here in the western part of the state, we used to have fires occurring every 10 to 20 years, um, really depending on, on the amount of vegetation that's, that's grown in a, in a location. Um, our grasslands adapted with fire, regular fire, and also with regular grazing. And so fires moving across the landscape out here in the western part of Kansas aren't anything new. They've, they've been going across our grazing lands for, for thousands of years. It's just that more recently with, with the settlement of, of, of the uh, Great Plains from, from settlers that we've tended to have a, more of a fire suppression culture out here in the western part of the Great Plains. But it used to be that we'd have fire going across these landscapes every 10 to 20 years. And uh, in fact, in, in one of the locations where uh, these fires on December 15th went through, um, just, a little, uh, just a little less than a month ago, we actually had a wildfire that went through some of those areas also in 2017, just less than five years ago. Um, what did you learn from those wildfires that occurred back in 2017? Well, in, in 2017, we were able to collect some data off of, off of the, one of the locations where this fire went through. Um, the wildfire in 2017 actually went through some of our K-State property, and we already had some experimental transects located in those pastures where we were able to go back and, and compare data from before the fire to um, data after the fire. And one of the things that, that we found in that 2017 fire was that the year after the fire, we had about a 25% reduction in the amount of forage produced wow. that year directly after, after the fire. Um, and also along with that, in comparing the, the vegetative uh, community population, pre-fire to post-fire, we found that some of our grass species um, tended to 
tended to decline a little bit uh, following that fire. And those species tended to be the ones that were bunch grasses, um, little blue stem and blue grama. Those, those grasses that grow in a clump or a bunch, um, those crowns, when they burn, are able to have, have a lot of dry matter there to burn, and those crowns tend to be closer to the soil surface. And so they, they can, um, can have potentially more damage than, than those grass species that are isomatous that have their growing points a little bit further underneath the soil. So those, those are the two main things that we found was that with this fire in 2017 that we had a, about a 25% reduction in dry matter the year after the year after the fire and that we had a small reduction in the population of uh, our bunch grasses, little blue stem and blue grama. But we also had an, uh, found that we had a, a slight increase in the rhizomatous species. Um, big blue stem and any grass actually increased slightly. So even though we had some reductions of some species, we had slight increases in others. So um, how will the fire, like the one that went through on December 15th, affect the grass um, in those pastures this year? Well, the, the fire that went through in December of 21 was a little bit different than the fire that went through in 2017, in that the fire that went through in 2017 was actually one that occurred later in the spring it, or in, in late winter. It occurred in early March. And so um, with that fire, it was closer to the growing season starting. And we also had really nice precipitation after that fire. And we actually had really, really um, good green up starting. So like how long uh, uh, afterwards, Keith? We, we had precipitation that occurred within two to three weeks after, after that fire. And so that precipitation and with the warming of the soil, it really helped really helped the, the vegetation to start growth and to start getting ground cover right. on, on the soil surface there after that fire. This one is a little bit different, this 2021 fire, in that we're going to have more weeks of that those pastures sitting without any cover on it. So it's going to be a little more exposed to, uh, to the winter conditions and, and potentially could have uh, a little more susceptibility to some some damage from really cold temperatures because it's not going to have that insulative cover. So, can you a quick question? Uh, would the snow actually help our situation now, or is it actually detrimental? I would say that snow is probably beneficial because it's providing a cover, some sort of insulative cover to that soil, and it's going to um, keep it from having... Uh, huge fluctuations in in soil warming and and, and cooling. So I, I would say that snow cover is probably actually beneficial. Um, one other thing that we could see from these from this fire that occurred in December is since that soil is going to sit exposed for for longer before growth starts, um, we also probably have a greater chance of some soil crusting occurring from when we do get precipitation that falls. You know the impact of that that water the, those water droplets on the soil surface can cause a, a thin layer of compaction which is going to be crusting and if if that occurs 
when we do get other precipitation events, then we could see that um, maybe we're not going to capture all that because the infiltration is going to be a little bit slower for that moisture to get into the soil. But that's going to depend basically on how big rainfall events are going to be, like how, how much rainfall and how quickly it comes. So, so really it, it it's, could be variable on, on um, how much moisture we're still able to get to infiltrate into those soils when we do get precipitation events. So what would you say would be the best case example, Keith, in that situation? If we could say what's the best case situation for weather and maybe worst case situation for weather before the spring? Well, the, the, the best case scenario I would say would be um, slow rainfalls that are soaking rainfalls. Um, I think that's going to be the best, the best way for us to get water into that soil and um, for it to, to really get into that soil profile. Otherwise, if we get fast and, rain, and hard rainfall events, I think we'll see more of that water lost and runoff because basically we don't have any vegetative cover there, any old dead standing material to slow down that water once it hits the surface and tries to run off. We don't have those those uh, um, those old dry. You know, we think of them as not very useful um, uh, clumps of grass out there, or or dead standing right. vegetative components. But they really do a good job of slowing down water that hits the soil surface and tries to to exit the landscape. Um, that standing vegetation and also the litter that's on the soil, those two, those two things serve a great function of getting that water to slow down so that it has time to infiltrate into the soil. And without that standing vegetation and without the litter cover, because most of the litter cover also was burnt in, in, in this fire, that uh, we're going to have less material there to capture that that moisture or to, or to slow down its flow off of the, off of the surface. I'm assuming this worst case scenario might be, it just remains dry and there's no moisture events at all. Um, yes, ideally we would have moisture to get that growth occurring quickly. That's, that's one of the things that we want in the springtime is when we're going to want that vegetation to pop out of the ground. As soon as we get soil temperatures that are conducive for growth, we're going to want the moisture there to get that that vegetation to pop out of the ground as quickly as possible. Okay, so this podcast is geared toward Western Kansas farmers and ranchers, of course. So what are some pasture management decisions that producers are going to be faced with this spring in the areas that are burned off? Well, one of the first things that they're gonna be faced with is trying to estimate whether or not they're gonna have any sort of production loss as far as pasture yield. and. If they think they are gonna have a pasture loss, now trying to estimate what that is and, and then trying to reduce stocking rates in, at the same level. Um, and like I said earlier, it, it's gonna be a little bit hard to predict how much loss you might expect from this because we don't know um, how much of the precipitation we're going to receive is actually going to get into the soil profile and um, whether or not we're going to get crusting and have some of that water to uh, run off. But um, 
anyway, based on some of our historical data that we've ha- that we have here, uh, one one study from a wildfire out here in in this region that was about 45 to 50 years ago found that the year after the fire, the wildfire, there was a 50% reduction in forage yield that growing season and then a 25% reduction the next growing season. Whereas in the 2017 fires that occurred and and the data that we collected, it showed that we had about a 25% reduction the year after the fire and then two years after the fire, things um, seemed to normalize and, and were close to average that second year after after the fire. So um, one of the things that this that these two sets of data tell me is that conditions prior to the fire and the the type of fire conditions during the fire and then the conditions after the fire may be different enough that we could see um, you know different resulting growth from all these, that the conditions are, are different enough pre-fire and post-fire that we can't really make just one blanket prediction that says, all right, this year you can expect exactly this amount of out, amount of reduction in, in growth. Um, our, these, these fires occurred with, with different circumstances, and so we may see a little bit different result. Um, from them. So Keith, in the 2017 fire, you know, you said there was a 20%, 25% reduction in grass. Did, did you guys reduce your head count then? Uh, yes, we did. Um, well, we reduced our stocking rate. We didn't reduce our head count, but we reduced our stocking rate. And how we did that was we kept the number of, of cattle that we were putting on those pastures the same, but we we deferred those pastures and allowed them to grow for a little over a month and a half before we ever placed animals out on those pastures. So we gave those pastures a head start in growth before we put animals back out there. Um, that's that's one thing that can be done as far as management. If, if a, a producer has pastures where some of the pasture burned and some of it didn't, one thing that they can do is they can go in and they can do a prescribed burn on the portion of the pasture that didn't burn in the wildfire. That way they can even the pasture out as far as- Uniformity? Um, yeah, uniformity as far as the the amount of pasture that is going to have new fresh growth coming up this spring. Because the animals, grazing animals, will concentrate on those areas that were burned um, compared to areas that weren't burned. Because those, those areas that did burn, that, that vegetation that comes up is going to be lush green vegetation without any old dead dry material in it. And so those areas will be selected for more heavily. So if you have a portion of a pasture that burned compared to a portion of pasture that didn't burn, the animals will heavily select toward those areas that, that were burned with that lush new growth. Okay. Keith, um, obviously we've got a pretty big area that was impacted by that wildfire um, on December 15th. If those guys have questions, um, how would they go about getting a hold of you? Well, they can go go about getting a hold of me just by reaching me through email. kharmone at ksu.edu, k-h-a-r-m-o-n-e at ksu.edu. Okay. 
or they can call our our main office here at our research center and just ask ask for me and uh, they'll get connected through our through our phone system okay great i appreciate your time so in conclusion we'd like to thank keith harmony range scientist from the ksu egg research center um, for sitting down and talking to us about this timely topic for more information about dryland research and extension please visit ksu.edu forward slash dryland. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe on your Android or Apple mobile device. Thank you and have a good day.